being programmed to chill a show about business crime parapolitics and esoterica with your host jimmy fallon gong this is episode 38 imperial japan part 8 spikelopedia part 3 the many identities of nisho inoue part 2 or the mad prophet today i'm recording from the hermitage of three virtues when we left off with inoue he had just met Mitsuru Toyama, though he did not explain why he met him, or really like what they talked about in concrete terms. Instead, Inoue decided that it would be a good time to ponder matters of the soul, to really get it get back into religion. So Inoue went back to Japan. This was in the early 1920s. When he got back, Inoue told the story of meeting an old friend who approached him with a job offer. His friend expressed his concern about the growth of left-wing labor unions in Japan. And this friend asked Inoue, Please, won't you spearhead the movement for a patriotic labor movement? Inoue replied, Please. Wait for me three years while I address the deep distress I'm experiencing. Once that's done, I will start a patriotic labor movement. Now, who do you think this old friend was? I'm assuming that it is either whoever recruited or ran him as a spy, and that Inoue first needed to carry out Toyama's instructions, or it could be just Toyama, right? I'm speculating either way, but... Inoue never says who this friend is, and it is certainly ripe for speculation. Despite running a racetrack and a bank in Shanghai, Inoue said that he was broke, which to me underscores the real likelihood that his activities were not your basic war profiteering. Then, and of course we are way deep in unreliable narrator territory, which you know, I should make clear. Inoue describes the following scenario. He describes inviting all of the geisha that he knew in Tokyo to his house as he was broke. And he ordered them to empty out their pockets and he kept all the money that they had on them. And he used that to fund his spiritual pilgrimage. Now, what does that sound like to you? Does that sound like a shakedown? Does that sound like he was their boss? Does that sound like he was their pimp? Around the same time, and still having money problems, Inoue was visited by the secretary of Count Tanaka Mitsuaki, who is the former imperial household minister to Emperor Meiji. This secretary visited Inoue on Mitsuru Toyama's recommendation. The secretary asked Inoue to become the Count's business dispute arbitrator. Which, let me tell you, that's a sweet gig if you can get it. So Inoue started a new career as an arbitrator for business disputes, and he would do this for several years. I think he would do it, you know, when he was older as well. There's a pretty funny anecdote about two business partners working together. They had a roofing company, and they could not agree on structuring a buyout because one of them was retiring, right? So Inoue was there to arbitrate the buyout. The arbitration dragged on for months, but during the whole 
period of time, Inoue had his lodging, meals, and drinks paid for, so he was under no rush to wrap things up. When it was finally time to, you know, arbitrate, Inoue did it in the following way. He threw a lavish banquet, which would be attended by Geisha. He secretly invited both business partners, who were shocked to see each other at the banquet. But before they could react or quarrel, Inoue clapped his hands, and he called in the geisha. The geisha rushed in and started pouring everyone's sake. Then Inoue lifted his cup and shouted, Congratulations! And the geisha all exclaimed, Congratulations! And the partners joined in, each too embarrassed to ask what had been decided. And that is how Inoue resolved this particular business dispute. That's how you resolve problems. You pretend like it's solved and it just works itself out. It sounds like the plot to like an Arrested Development or Curb Your Enthusiasm episode or something. Now apart from growing into being a mobbed up, well-connected political fixer, Inoue kept on with his spiritual journey. He moved into an abandoned hermitage, the the Santokuan, or the Hermitage of Three Virtues. This hermitage had once been a nun's hermitage, but it was now an abandoned property, and it was used as storage for a nearby village graveyard. In 1924, Akira Inoue began to dream dreams. He had been practicing Zen Buddhism on his own, in an abandoned hermitage near a graveyard. Inoue said, After having practiced Zazen for some time, I noted that when seated, my mind became clear. However, when I had to stand up to do things like relieving myself, there was no change in my state of mind, and I continued to be afflicted by the same doubts as before. Not knowing any other method of training, I continued to practice Zazen day and night, but my mental anguish only increased. Inoue began to have the same dream that he would have in China, except this time he could remember it. The dream went like this. Inoue was in China, in the countryside, when he got attacked by multiple men. In the dream, he defended himself and stabbed them to death one by one. But with each man he killed, more men came. Inoue ran to the mountains to escape them. In the mountains, he fell and lost consciousness. When waking from this dream within a dream, Inoue found himself at the bottom of the mountain, holding his bloody dagger. Inoue said to himself, I have killed a number of people. Even if I manage to escape, my crimes won't go away. There's nothing to be done but commit suicide. Then he saw a stone pagoda with Chinese script reading, I take refuge in the wondrous law of the Lotus Sutra. He decided to commit suicide in the pagoda, climbing the mound, sitting cross-legged at the base. Sitting there, Inoue cut his stomach open in the seppuku style, which caused him to pass out yet again. Still dreaming, Inoue woke and found himself alive, but when he looked at his knees, cross-legged still, he saw his intestines spilled out. Then Inoue saw an old man with a white beard smiling at him. Inoue spoke to him, saying, Old man, you're standing there like a spectator when I'm finding it difficult to die, despite having cut open my stomach. Don't you know of some way to help me accomplish my goal? 
And the old man told him that because he killed himself, his sins had been forgiven, and told Inoue to put his intestines back into his stomach. Having nothing to lose, Inoue did this, and his stomach healed. Believing he had been forgiven, Inoue made a deep bow to the old man. The old man told him to return to the city, and said, When you get back, think of yourself as someone who has died, and work for the benefit of the world and its people. I'll do as you say, Inoue replied. Then he traveled through the countryside and woke up. As Inoue reflected on his dream and its possible meanings, he said to himself, I was saved by having died, so from now on I will repeat the mantra. Namo Myoho Renge Kyo. Inoue said, I will chant this as my form of religious practice, as if my life depended on it. For reference, dear listener, Namu Myoho Renge Kyo has been translated as either Devotion to the Mystic Law of the Lotus Sutra, or Glory to the Dharma of the Lotus Sutra, or something in between, or something along those lines. Inoue ended practicing Zazen, sitting in the lotus position, and started instead reciting this mantra with his eyes shut, kneeling in the formal Japanese seiza sitting position. When he was not doing this, he would go out and eat wild plants from the countryside. Living like this, his clothes became torn and soiled, and his hair messy and unkempt. And so children in the village began to think he was crazy. Inoue didn't care, though after a time, he began to wonder if he was in fact crazy. He asked himself, I've been reciting the mantra, determined to die if necessary. Is it possible I'm really going crazy? These spiritual practices did not assuage his doubts, and he said, As ever, I felt like a lost child with questions about the nature of life enveloping me like a dense black cloud. He said that reciting the mantra did not help him. Inoue reflected on his former teacher, Soshin Asuma, and remembered the parting words that he heard there in Manchuria. Asuma said, Had we a little more time, I would have liked to introduce you to the Lotus Sutra, which Inoue had been studying in the years that followed. And Inoue imagined that it was because of Asuma that he had been having these dreams. Inoue found that by repeating the mantra, he was able to enter Samadhi, which is the heightened state of mental concentration and awareness that is like, but not necessarily the same as a trance. Or, I guess maybe it would be more precise to say, it is a certain type of trance. Now, one night, after doing this all day, right, like, this is the main thing he's doing, Inoue woke from a dream, and he saw the door to the hermitage open. The way he tells it, he saw a daytime spring scene. He could see the trees and the flowers in full bloom. And then he heard a voice call out to him and say, You can die now.
Inoue did not know what to make of this. Later, when Inoue was near, in the nearby graveyard, he saw a snake missing part of its tail, and Inoue went over to the snake and recited the Lotus Sutra to it three days in a row before counseling the snake not to come back. According to Inoue, the snake listened and did not come back. From that point on, Inoue became convinced that he could communicate with animals, plants, and rocks. He also began healing the peasants who lived nearby. He also began having out-of-body experiences. Over four days in 1924, Inoue saw visions. On the first day, while chanting the mantra, Inoue saw a beautiful purple cloud appear in front of him. He recognized a figure standing in the cloud. It was Emperor Jimu, Japan's first emperor, standing with a female deity. Inoue saw a vision of himself prostrated before them. The next day, he saw the same purple cloud. He saw the two figures in the purple cloud. This time, he noticed that Emperor Jimu was holding an infant child. The infant child pointed suddenly at Inoue, who became afraid and prostrated himself before them yet again. On the third day, Inoue saw the vision of the purple cloud. He saw Emperor Jimu and his companion. And again, the infant reached out his hand at him with its golden-colored hand, inviting Inoue to come forward. At that moment, Inoue became the infant, and he felt a sense of oneness that he was unable to explain. The fourth day, as Inoue recited his morning mantra inside the hermitage, a faintly purple bright light suddenly filled the room, as if splitting heaven and earth apart. Inoue stood up. After standing up, he says he saw everything in heaven and earth was in a state of great joy. Inoue said, I experienced a oneness in which the whole of nature and the universe was my true self. I was overwhelmed with the feeling that heaven and earth are of one substance, and that 10,000 things and I are of the same root. This was something I had never felt before, a truly strange and mysterious state of mind. I thought to myself, this is really strange. And I thought, let me examine my past doubts in light of the enlightened realm that I had just entered. As I quietly reflected on these doubts, I was astounded to realize that my doubts of 30 years standing had disappeared without a trace. So this sounds pretty cool, right? I mean, Inoue is basically describing becoming enlightened. Now, Inoue took the opportunity in his enlightened frame of mind to examine good and evil, and he decided that good and evil were not opposing, but, as he wrote, it is truly a case which, from the beginning, good and evil do not differ from each other. Rather, when our thoughts and actions are in accord with the truth of a non-dualistic universe, this is good. When they are not, this is evil. For example, in the case of a relationship between two people, 
If you think and act on the basis that self and other are one, that is good. On the other hand, if you do no more than think without action, that is evil. Yet concrete manifestations of good and evil do differ from one another according to the time, place, and those involved. Thus, there is no need to be attached to a particular concept of good and evil, or to think about what is right or wrong. Now, I am not going to get into that right now, but I am not rushing past his understanding of good and evil, right? Inoue knew that his enlightenment experience was out of the ordinary, and he attributed his rapid spiritual progress to the use of Zen Koan. Now, many religious traditions hold that religious training undertaken alone is actually dangerous. In the Zen Buddhist tradition, which is the most relevant to this situation, they generally hold that the practitioner can easily end up going mad. Or, you know, maybe to, you know, modern ears this sounds a little crazier, but you can possibly become a mountain spirit. Which, at least the former, going mad, almost or did happen to Inoue. I don't know. Maybe we'll judge this based on subsequent events. Either way, Zen Buddhism talks about Makyo, or the realm of devils, which is said to be a realm of self-delusion, consisting of visual and auditory hallucinations that can occur during meditation. This often stems from trauma, especially childhood trauma. In Zen Buddhism, it is known that practitioners can become deeply disturbed when they encounter Makyo. Or they can become falsely convinced that they have achieved enlightenment. When doing Zen training with a Zen master, there's the direct supervision and monitoring and guidance, and there are private meetings with the master, known as Dokusan. When you're alone, you don't have any of that. It is entirely possible, maybe even probable, that Inoue fell victim to Makyo, the realm of devils. Either way, Inoue sought out post-enlightenment training, known as Gogo, and he had acquired followers. He began to give sermons as well. One of the days following his enlightenment, Inoue was resting at the base of a pine tree, basking in the sun, when he suddenly heard a voice shout at him, Get up! Inoue looked around, but no one was there. The voice spoke to him and said, You are the savior of the world. For the sake of all sentient beings, get up. Inoue said to himself, that was strange. He thought that his only goal in life was to resolve his doubts. What more could there be? He knew enough about Buddhism to know that he lacked compassion. The same voice said, You know nothing about repaying the debt of gratitude you owe others. You found relief from the pain you suffered for so many years, thanks to the mercies of heaven and earth. How is it possible that you would not try to save all sentient beings from their suffering? Inoue ignored the voice, knowing that he lacked the disposition for such a role. But the voice came back and said to him, You are a coward. Can't you hear the suffering voice of the masses? Get up. Inoue ignored the voice, but felt a deep sense of guilt at his past sins, despite his dreams and visions. Still, 
Inoue made a prediction, a prophecy, about the Great Kanto Earthquake of 1923. This Great Earthquake of 1923 killed 100,000 people in Tokyo. His prediction astounded his followers. We will talk about the Great Kanto Earthquake of 1923. There are some interesting intersections with that. Still, prophesying that there will be an earthquake in Japan is not necessarily mind-blowing, but he did supposedly, like, specify when, which is more impressive. Another instance of prophecy happened when Inoue chanced upon two colonies of ants fighting each other. Inoue heard a voice from heaven predicting, a war between Japan and the United States will begin in year 16. At first, Japan will be victorious, but after a while, the United States will start winning, leading to Japan's sound defeat. Despite this, the Japanese flag will eventually flutter throughout the world. Look, the colony of small black ants is the Japanese military. The colony of big red ants is the United States military. Now, Inoue did not believe in deities, and he said, The reason prophecies occur is because of the prophet's ability to unify his spirit, thereby clearing his mind to receive the truth, just like a radio antenna. That's all there is to it. Now, it's notable that Inoue did not believe the prophecy because he thought it would be year 16 of Emperor Taisho's reign. War did break out, however, in the 16th year of the reign of Emperor Hirohito, just as he predicted. Make of that what you will. In 1925, Inoue changed his first name yet again, this time to Nisho, as occasioned by a visit from the right-wing journalist and commentator Chisen Asahina. The Chinese character that is used to write Akira can be read as to invite the sun, or Nisho. So Inoue began to refer to himself as Inoue Nisho. This is not like a strong name change, rather like, sort of like, reading this, the same character a different way, right? Inoue went to study with the Nichiren sect, but he remained unaffiliated from them. It is not accurate to call him to call Inoue a Nichiren priest, or even a follower of Nichirenism, though there are some parallels. You will sometimes hear people refer to Inoue as belonging to the Nichiren sect, which is not correct. Now, Nichirenism, I think we mentioned it in prior episodes, Nichirenism is highly nationalistic, but it seems like this wasn't enough for Inoue. Now, working on your soul doesn't pay the bills, right? So Inoue was broke yet again. Then, organically and with no reason to doubt this synchronicity, Inoue happened to meet the Japanese Navy's Admiral Seizaburu Kobayashi. Stop me if this sounds a little bit like Hitler meeting key naval officers who linked him up with funds and esoteric beliefs or something. Through Kobayashi, Inoue was introduced to many other ultranationalists. Yes, Inoue was already in this milieu, but Kobayashi introduced him to even more. Inoue did not necessarily get along with many of them, but he particularly admired Shumei Okawa. 
Okawa is a very interesting guy because he was both a scholar and an ultranationalist. He could speak German, French, English, as well as Sanskrit and Pali. He was interested in all that esoteric Indian racism, just like the esoteric Nazis. Okawa worked as a translator for the Imperial Army's general staff, and then he was employed by the South Manchuria Railway Company. Stop me if you've heard this before. Okawa then got into Rudolf Steiner's philosophies. Okawa then became personal friends with Morihei Ueshiba, who is the founder of Aikido, the martial art. And Okawa wrote a crucial book called Japan and the Way of the Japanese, which was a very popular work of ultra-nationalist thought. I will save some of the Okawa content for the next episode, but to fast forward a little bit, Okawa was there, in court, 1946, after World War II. He was finding himself being charged as a Class A war criminal. That's right, it's Okawa who famously reached over and slapped the bald head of Hideki Tojo. There's a video of it on YouTube, I highly recommend you watch it. Anyway, that's the guy who slapped Tojo's head. Inoue liked Okawa, and they worked together on many projects. Around 1925, Inoue joined Bin Akao's Kenkokukai, which is to say the National Foundation Society, which was intended to be a far-right mass political movement. It did grow to be 120,000 strong. It called for state socialism and for a form of pan-Asianism, but it also engaged in strike-breaking and terrorism. Why, yes, in case you were asking, it was directly inspired by the National Socialist Party. Why do you ask? The National Foundation Society had a newspaper. The newspaper had a pithy slogan, Death to Communism, to Russian Bolshevism, and to the Left Parties and Workers' Unions. Which, I'm just guessing, sounds punchier in Japanese. It sounds a bit long-winded when translated, but I'm assuming that's... You know, the translation failing us here. Inoue actually ran the party's newspaper for a time. Eventually, he resigned from the organization, possibly because there was not really the need for a mass fascist party when things were already pretty well in hand for the powers that ran the country, right? Like, you don't need the Nazi party if the Weimar Republic doesn't basically fall apart, right? To wrap up for today, I will leave you with a horrible image with Inoue, right? He's flat broke. He's got one foot in fascist politics, the other in Zen Buddhism. And he chose to go receive more Buddhist training. He went to the famous Rinzai Temple in Kenchoji, where he studied and worked, and supposedly he was dead broke. He was so broke that he barely had any clothes, but his job was to sweep the temple to clean and scrub the floors. After some time at that temple, he found that he had been given the nickname Kinpura, or Swinging Balls, because when he would bend over to scrub the floors, his testicles were visible to the rest of the monks. They all pitched in and got him some clothes in order to fix the problem. Such is the life of Inoue Nisha. So, to wrap up here, let's go over just a few points of Inoue's life so far. 
We saw him shaking down Geisha, and the way he told the story, it's clear that he was probably their boss and or pimp. And for those who don't know, yes, historically, many Geisha were prostitutes. I'm sorry, I don't care what some people have the idea that they were separate. That's true for modern times, but not historically, right? Inoue was asked to start a patriotic labor movement, which is another way of asking someone to start a fascist organization. And who asked him? Presumably maybe Toyama, or one of his handlers? Perhaps a contact in high society like that count that he was hanging out with. Then we saw how Inoue's finances just happened to take care of themselves. Just like the job as business dispute arbitrator. Like... That's a job that doesn't really require anything but connections to get or do. We saw how Inoue had the spare time to engage in spiritual training, which is not something that most actually broke people do. Goes without saying that he was definitely neglecting his family during that time also. Nor does Inoue, Inoue sound like an organically spiritual person. Like, I don't know his heart, I can't tell. I do believe that he had an interest in it, but to me, perhaps this sounds like another mission that he was on. That said, I don't really think that he was lying about his dreams and visions. They sound authentic, in the sense that I don't think he made them up out of nothing, if that makes sense. I do believe that you can engage in spiritual training and get some truly wild results. And, just like we discussed, I do think there is real danger in doing extreme spiritual practice in isolation. This has been hinted, or stated outright, in many religious texts and traditions across many different cultures throughout the world. Now, I am probably the last person to criticize a person receiving dreams and visions. I say more power to you. But... If those visions start telling you that there's no such thing as good or evil, or telling you that you are the savior of the world, or to do acts of violence, then you are probably conversing with jinn or demons, and like you should probably not do the things they're trying to get you to do. Shout out to my episode with Pastiche Sayop, where we talk about this very topic with John Lindley Fraser, right? In that case, he was receiving revelation that he should kill rich people for ruining the environment. It's not that I think Inoue's spiritual experiences were fake, or that he was making them up, but there is literally a Zen Buddhist theological explanation for what he was experiencing, that he was interacting with Makyo, the realm of the devils. And if you notice that the realm of the devils interacts with trauma, and especially childhood trauma, why you could take that and run in many interesting directions. You would probably end up in David Lynch territory. What's that? What does David Lynch practice? Transcendental meditation. Right. Okay. Now, what are we to make of Inoue's prophecies? Again, it's not a huge feat to predict an earthquake in Japan, though predicting it with some degree of precision is more impressive. It is also not terribly impossible to predict a 
upcoming war with the United States. It is more impressive to do that 20 years before it happens, and to get the year correct, supposedly. Well, I mean, we know that he made the prophecy before, and he did get the year right. Still, either way, we will see Inoue becoming more and more fixated on a particular passage from the Lotus Sutra, the line which went, Kill one to save the many. Kill one to save the many. Kill one to save the many. For sources today, I used Brian Dyson Victoria's books, Zen at War, Zen War Stories, and especially for this episode, Zen Terror. Also, Yoshio Kodama's I Was Defeated. Also, all the other books I've cited in the Japan series. Thank you for listening, dear listeners. Check out my Patreon. I promise you, you'll get your money's worth. It's very entertaining. And it helps me be able to do this show. (laughs) And to justify the ridiculous amount of time I spend on it. I really do appreciate it. Now, I am on my way to the Mitsui Bank in Nihonbashi. See you next episode, and God bless.